On this episode of Ken Dashow's Beatles Revolution, we're going to dig into the process of writing hit songs. From John Lennon and Paul McCartney and George Harrison to a man who has written Living on a Prayer, You Give Love a Bad Name, I Was Made for Love and You, Dude Looks Like a Lady, Living La Vida Loca, and hundreds more, Desmond Child, my special guest. First of all, when the Beatles came to Miami Beach, my mom and her beautiful sisters hung out with them at the Deauville Hotel. Awesome. And... The one my mom said that she was, you know, like hanging out with uh, was George Harrison. Pretty cool. And then later on, when I was uh, playing tracks, I looked out in the audience and George Harrison was was in the audience. I should have gone, Daddy! (laughs) (laughs) I could be his love child. Take two. It's Kandashow's Beatle Revolution. One, two, three, four... On the Desmond Child, songwriter par excellence. There isn't a rock station anywhere in the Western world that doesn't play 10 of your songs every day. It's amazing, and you have such strong Beatle connections. When I was in high school, I changed my name to Desmond Child because of uh, that song, Obladi Oblada. Oh my God, Des- that's where Desmond came from? Yeah, yeah, because remember Desmond was yeah. like androgynous and wore makeup, was, you know, kind of, you know, right. all that. Paul reversed it by accident. Desmond sits at home and paints his pretty face, and in the evening, she's a singer. And we said, I, you know, I screwed that up. John goes, don't touch it. That's the best line of the whole song. Right, right. And he's right. Our subject is songwriting. John, Paul, and George wrote for the Beatles. They gave the Stones some songs. They gave Billy J. Kramer some songs. But they wrote for the Beatles. Mick and Keith wrote for the Stones. But this man shows up like a free agent, gives you a monster hit song, then goes on his way. How does that work? Welcome to Ken Dashow's Beatles Revolution, Desmond Child. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. From my home base here at Q104.3 in New York City, I will tell you that classic rock stations in the Western world, on average, probably play 10 of your songs every 24 hours. I'll stand on that. Wow, that's great. I don't even know where to start. For people who don't know your name, I thought, should I start alphabetically? Please don't let me embarrass you, but I need a minute. Aerosmith, Dude Looks Like a Lady, Angel, What It Takes, Crazy. How about uh, Michael Bolton, Bon Jovi, You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, Bad Medicine, Born to Be My Baby, Keep the Faith. There's a hundred others. We've got Cher, uh, Chicago, Alice Cooper, Ace Freely, <laughs> Selena Gomez, Hanson. We've got In Excess, Joni, Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, I Hate Myself for Loving You, and 10, 15 others. Kiss, I Was Made for Loving You, and 10 others. Ricky Martin, some song called Livin' La Vida Loca. I think I might have heard that once or twice. Cindy Lauper, Meatloaf, Alana Miles, Katy Perry, Rat, Leanne Rimes, Richie Sambora for solo, all the Scorpion songs, Billy Squire, Paul Stanley, Josh Stone, Bonnie Tyler, Steve Vai, Carrie Underwood, John Waite, Robbie Williams, and that's just part of the list. And Dude. Barbara Streisand. Oh, oh yeah, that's right, and Barbara. Dude, seriously? I mean, if Thank anybody you. doesn't know the name Desmond Child, Google it, find it, and most importantly, I don't know if you've ever done this before, that you have a live album out coming out on BMG, Desmond Child Live. It's about time. It, it is about time. <laughs> 
Now I'm going to do them my way. <laughs> well, the thing that always interests me and the thing I've gotten to do through all the years is I love to hear how the songwriter heard the song versus the finished product. And look, it's obvious that the finished product is tremendous. You know, you're keeping the fires burning on all of classic rock and pop and Barbara. All these people don't reach out to you if you couldn't write hits. <laughs> Uh, for instance, Pete Townsend said to me, he sat down with the guitar and played me the demo of how he heard Baba O'Reilly, and it's just a pure ballad. Teenage Wasteland. And he said, then it goes through his Van Helsing filter, and it comes out screaming. I said, well, you start with I Fight for My Meals. He goes, yeah, that's for Roger, because he likes to sing about fighting. Got it. So you wrote this so for your partner, to that's how he would sing it. Simon Kirk from Bad Company, Feel Like Making Love on his honeymoon in Jamaica, and wrote a reggae song. Baby, when I think about ya. And I brought it into the room, and the band goes, dude, we don't do reggae. Wait, let's make it a rock song. And I'm fascinated with all these huge hits. Desmond, if we could start there. Was there any song that came out totally different from the way you intended it, but it came out okay? Well, I certainly didn't expect Living on a Prayer to turn out the way it did, because we had sort of written it like the spooky, moody kind of uh, sensitive thing. And John didn't think it was going going to be right for the direction that they were going into, which was like hard rock, like, like stadium rock and all this kind of stuff. But the song was so good that Richie Sambora and I literally got on our hands and knees, half joking, half serious, <laughs> and begged him to record it. <laughs> and what they came up with in the studio, it, could, it was beyond my wildest imagination how they they came up with that. I mean, it was fantastic. The band The Zombies are dear friends of mine. Their big album, Odyssey and Oracle, 67. The band is breaking up, and Colin Blunstone refuses to sing Time of the Season because he thinks it's the stupidest song he ever heard. And he and Rod Argent are yelling at each other from the control room to the floor in Abbey Road, you so-and-so, you this, well, I quit. Well, just sing the damn song while you sing it. And finally, as Colin said... Gritting my teeth, I sing this song about it's the time of the season for loving as I'm clenching my fist, and it turns out to be the biggest song they ever had. And I said to Colin, seriously, you heard that demo? Not one part of that sounded like a hit to you? He's like, I could lie, but <laughs> no, I thought it was crap. You know, the Elton John thing to, told Freddie Mercury, you'll be the laughing stock of the world. You will only be able to play gay bathhouses if you release this thing. And Freddie said, darling, we're putting that out, and that's going to be the single. Speaking of which, the movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, did you love it like we did? Loved. I mean, that movie's just absolutely genius. Living on a Prayer. We never stop playing Living on a Prayer. And the thing is, certain people are like, to me, heavy metal writers. Certain people are balladeers. You wrote for the Scorpions and Barbara Streisand. Desmond, talk to me. How, how does that happen? How does one guy put be able to sit in any camp and come up with a song that's appropriate for that artist? Because to me, it's about telling a story. And, and then if I dive into the world of an artist I'm going to be working with and we're collaborating, it's, it's like um, I'm all about what their future should sound like not so much what the past was. And so that's what helps them move forward with their lives and with their careers, with their artistry. And so I was, I was given a gift to have that kind of empathy, uh, to be able to, f to feel another person on the inside and get into their skin and then be able to contribute valuable content for them. 
If you just, if Bon Jovi didn't have Runaway, if he just had You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, so much of rock, so much of all of music standards is brokenhearted. But you can sing uh, Heartbreaking Brokenhearted or I Hate Myself for Loving You is just one of the great, that could be a country song. You know, it could go anywhere depending on the artist. And as I've always said on the air, that's how much I hate you. I don't hate you as much as I hate me even more for loving you. That's how much I hate you. And I think that's just genius. You know, nobody put it there. Nobody, until you came on, everybody's done brokenhearted, baby, come back. Like, I hate me more than you because I love you. Like, well, that's bad. That's a bad breakup. I spent two years studying under the great Bob Crew, who was my producer, and, and you know, but it really ended up that he was my professor. And mm -hmm. it was like songwriting university. And... um he taught me to always start with a great title that has irony and irony involves the tension of opposites. So you give love a bad name. I hate myself for loving you. Heaven's on fire. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, so, so once you have that, even how can we be lovers if we can't be friends? Just the title, like the song just spills out of the title, and it's easy that way. And uh, also, the the song title encapsulates um, the artists themselves. Uh, uh, one of my most recent songs is a song that I wrote for Barbara Streisand. It's one of the few songs I've so solely written in many decades, really. And I spent like a month listening to Barbara Streisand's music, and then I remembered that scene in Funny Girl where she's on the tugboat and she's, you know, the, the tugboat passes in front of the Statue of Liberty and she's lifting a bunch of flowers, like a bouquet of flowers, like it's the torch. And there's the Statue of Liberty holding the torch and there's Barbara. And then it just came to me, Lady Liberty. And I, uh, she, she chose a song and I uh, co-produced it with her for her album Walls. And I, I really encourage people to listen to it, no matter if you're a rocker, any kind, because it's one of those anthems that will help bring us back to our senses. Because one of the passages in the song talks about, you know, that terrible September when we stopped and cried together. I'm talking with Desmond Child. I love this quote from Paul Stanley. Success is difficult, but sustaining it is almost impossible. And Desmond Child has 40 years of success and that says it all. That's a hell of a good quote. Whenever I get interviewed about the Beatles, people say, what is the reason here? 50 years, why are they? And I said, it's one word. They went back to it over and over again. Love, say the word, love. All you need is love. You know, love is the answer with a little help from my friends. All the songs that matter, it's all about loving each other and connecting to each other and just looking beyond the, the pettiness. I, I thought, here are these four kids and I know you're a Beatles fan as well. So many of every songwriter I know says we go back to what they did. They're doing Chuck Berry songs. They're doing Little Richard like everybody else singing Motown. And they start writing their own songs. And they're good and solid. And they're mentor of how to structure a song. You at Bob Crew, they have this brilliant arranger named George Martin who can say, did you ever consider a piano here? Would you consider a string section here? And they were like sponges like you and learned how to craft songs. And I was, I've always been amazed how in 1964 we, we get She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. 
And a year and a half later, they write, turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. This is not dying. And he writes, tomorrow never knows. That jump, forget about you, you learn to play better or you're successful. The jump in songwriting, Desmond, just blows me away. That's right. I mean, I grew up in the projects of uh, Liberty City in Miami. I don't know if you saw a movie called Moonlight. Yeah. But that was, that's where I grew up. The, the the apartment, the interior was exactly the apartment that I lived in with my mom. And, you know, it, it was a lot of poverty. Her junk car in the front, you know, of of our house didn't even have gas in it. She had to walk, you know, many blocks to catch a bus to get to a crap job. She she worked at Burger King. We'd wait till 1130 at night when she got home. And then we'd put like two tops of buns together. Uh, because the bottom one would be all soggy uh, to make, you know, to eat our dinner. And so, you know, like uh, listening to the music that was in the at the swing sets, somebody always had a transistor radio and they were playing R&B music and they'd be playing the Beatles and then it's the Rolling Stone, then Wilson Pickett and then Dionne Warwick. And that was all coming out of one one station. And so we had, at that time, we weren't all separate. We were all listening to the same music. And uh, I think that's, that, that made my music education so rich. It's amazing when I think about how they, they covered the country, and we were all connected in the 60s. There was a, a musical connection that taught us so much of all this. So interesting, we were talking before about when the Beatles went to Miami, my, the first time I'm a kid from Brooklyn, and my mom and dad, first time I was old enough, I don't know, I was uh, seven or so, you get to go on vacation. We're gonna go, we're Jews from Brooklyn, we'll go to Miami. And I say, can we stay at the Deauville? <laughs> because, you know, since, since you first heard it, uh, you know, five years old, six years old, my God, this is the greatest thing in the world. Beatles stayed at the Deauville, I'll stay at the Deauville. Tell me well, the my, Beatles connection. Well, my mom was a, was a songwriter, and she, you know, was always out at nightclubs and you know trying to push her songs. And when the Beatles came to town, her and her beautiful sisters uh, got in, and uh, there was an after party. And uh, my mom and her sisters were hanging out with the Beatles. And my mom said that she sat next to George Harrison. I wonder if it was just sitting, <laughs> but you know, many years later I was with my group Desmond Child and Rouge and we were playing a club in New York city called tracks. And I, and I looked out, you know, from backstage, looked out in the audience and there was George Harrison and it was like, Oh my God, should I go up and say, dad, you know, <laughs> I could be his love child. Wishful thinking. Of course. <laughs> There's a ubiquitousness to it. It was safe. Henry Rollins angry, loud music and a brilliant actor and said, I just love the Beatles. The Beatles were safe. The Beatles would never throw a ball at your head as hard as they could and hurt you. <sighs> Got it. Even now, how important it was to have a safe place. And sometimes that's music. And that's what you've built over 40 years. You've built music when people have had a terrible day and they just need to shake it out, whether it's a rock anthem or it's something beautiful. You built that too, Desmond. <laughs> you did. 
Well, it's so wonderful getting letters uh, through through the years from people that you know would listen to Living on a Prayer, and that got them through chemo. And we once got a a, a letter from a guy who said he was going to kill himself, so he he was crazed, and he went to the to the 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 bridge in his town, and he pulled up and he just jumped out of the car, left the door on, the engine running, radio on, and he was getting ready to jump and living on a prayer came on the on on the, on the radio and he said, "Oh, well that's my favorite song, so I want that to be the last song I hear." So he got back in the car. By the time it got to the last chorus, the the modulation, he drove home. Wow. And that's for real, folks. That is the power of music. That's why we do this. That's why I'm a DJ and Desmond writes music and these amazing musicians schlep all over the world every night and you make a joke out of it, but I'm telling you, you have no idea how hard the grind is of touring and playing. And it's all because of that magic two, three hours that they get to play for us. And I've always felt the power of music going back why, why are we still talking about Beethoven? Why are we still talking about Mozart? The people who are the best of the best of their era are here, on, are alive all the time. I go to Carnegie Hall and I just float away listening to a Mozart quartet. You know, you go, this guy's alive. He's so psychedelic and brilliant. Look what this guy's writing. And it, it hasn't gone anywhere in 300 years. Crazy. Well, um, one of the great joys of my life is going to see Bon Jovi concerts because they do a lot, awful lot of the songs that I co-wrote with them in the in the set. You know, they'll be kind of like one of one of the standards, like you know, "Born to Be My Baby," and then they'll play something from their new album, and then they'll 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 play "Bad Medicine," and that you know. So the, John always holds "Living on a Prayer" back to be the last of the final encores. So no one will leave that stadium <laughs> without hearing Living on a Prayer. And so you look around people with white hair, little babies on with uh, you know earplugs on, right. you know, on their parents' shoulders, just they're standing there all night waiting to hear that song. And when that song starts, you can't even hear the band because they scream it out like their life depends on it. An entire stadium full of people screaming out the song. I mean, it happened just like a few weeks ago at uh, a game. They, they, they did like a 95,000 people karaoke'd living on a prayer. <laughs> and they put the, 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 right. the lyrics on the screen. How great is that? I mean, it's got to affect you. Does it ever get blasé for you? Or do, do those moments where you stop and go... Holy crap, look at this. No, I'm always in awe because I never take one second of, of, of life or success for granted. I mean, we were so poor and my mom worked so hard to try to have a hit. And, uh, you know, her, her dream was that we could move across the bay and live on Miami Beach in a mansion. And I made that dream come true for her. Oh, God bless you for doing that. Desmond Child is my guest here in the studio we live in this era, uh, we talk about renaissance of music. Little Steven and I have said this a lot. From Pick the year from the late 60s to whenever you want, if you think it ended, uh, which I don't. But there was an era of commercial art in movies and books and songs that were of the highest level. And it wasn't, well, it's a great song, but it won't sell. It's the biggest sellers and brilliantly written. 
uh, Jimmy Webb, who I love, right? Just some of the most brilliant songs. Ever. He's he's one of my best friends. We're on we serve on the board of ASCAP together. So often look over and I said, "Okay, I'm sitting next to Jimmy Webb." <laughs> I mean, the Jimmy Webb. I mean, it, it's just like blows my mind. I love love him, and I said to him once. I said, "Okay, complete fanboy here. Give me five minutes. Wichita lineman, you know." And anybody could start a song about a guy's job. I'm a lineman for the county. I work the main road, you know, searching the sun for another overload. And I said 90% of every other songwriter, the next verse would be, and there's this girl back in so-and-so. And you start with, I hear you singing in the wires. Oh, punch in the heart, because I got it. I don't, need, I don't need her name, and her name is Mary. I got how lonely that is. Right. And the rest of the song, the loneliness of this job that I have, that I have to do. And I, I'm like, Jimmy, that's the thing. That's that that sudden what, huh? That you do it in your songs, he does. I, Brian Wilson, I may not always love you, as long as there are stars above. You know, and you turn things around. Like you said to me, I hate, I hate myself for loving you. Hate, love. Things that turn us around where it just stays in our ear and you never let it go. That's the power of irony. That's the tension of opposites. And, you know, all art has to have tension of opposites. Even if it's a black canvas on a white wall, at some point that canvas ends and then the white contrasts against it. That's the art. That's really cool. Thank you for explaining that. Is that something that you do consciously and think about, okay, what's the conflict in this song? Or is it just the Paul McCartney's... Desmond Childs of the world, it just flows through you. It just comes out that way and it comes out right. Maybe it's a stupid question to ask, but how, what is the process like? I, I think a, lo a lot of it does kind of automatically go because in your subconscious, you just put together the imagery and the words and, you know, that's the skill or, or talent or that you're born with or develop. But there's a lot of revision and, you know, then you do the deep dive, you drill down on every line <laughs> and try to, uh, this is what Bob Crew taught me is, you know, create a, a, you know, rhyming, inner rhyming between the two lines that uh, above and below a certain line. And then, you know, then also the alliteration of the consonants. I mean, that's one of the things that urban uh, music really does well. You know, the it's all about the rhyming, the alliteration, the rhythms. And, uh, you know, Bob Crew, you know, wrote, Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? You know, uh, just, you know, his... That's he, the inner rhyme. Yeah. yeah. Kitchi, kitchi, ya, ya, da, da. I mean, that's almost like rap. Yeah. I mean... I never thought of that. And, and, and it's Creole, you know, Creole lady right. marmalade. I mean, it's like he, he was genius with all that, and I could not have written all the songs that I helped to write without having had those two years with him when he was so fastidious, especially about clean rhyming. You know, he, he like says, you know, enough and love do not rhyme. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, how right. many times have you heard enough and love like right. supposedly rhyming with each other? Right. And they one's a V and one's an F. <laughs> and he would make me, you know, do cartwheels until we got the rhymes really tight. 
I've read a book uh, by Stephen Sondheim. He wrote two of them. One is Finishing the Hat, and they're so intense. But he explains the whole thing about rhyming, that clean rhymes are easier to remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. When they're a little bit off, they're not as memorable. Because your brain has to work harder. Harder. So then if you have stadium music and you have uh, you know 50,000 people all singing together, the cleaner the rhyme, the better. <laughs> the more they want to sing it with you. So those are the kind of techniques that went along with, you know, the inspiration. So it's inspiration and technique. You know, maybe the most covered song in the world yesterday. Paul's walking around for weeks singing, hey, what is this? You know, and he said, you scrambled eggs. Oh, my baby, how I love your legs. And just trying to come up with something to remember the tune till Lennon probably says, it's yours, you know, you put some words to that. And he goes home and you talk about that inner rhyme uh, yesterday, far away, and I said something wrong. Now I long for yesterday. And that when you're the one, because you just explained that to me, that's what I think of wrong, long yesterday. Right. Like, that's that's why that quick da da da. And you go, holy crap, that's amazing. And it's simple. It's it, not complex. He just innately understood that because of the you know the ears that that pick out rhyme is is part of music, and so. You know, understanding that or not even understanding it, just knowing feeling it, it, feeling it, the feeling. Um, that's what makes greatness. Yeah, I, it's funny. He, he's told the story on stage and it's lucky enough to have he told it to me in person when I said, so yesterday's covered by anybody and everybody. Guinness Book of World Records. Is there a version that you specifically love or hate? And he said, well, I just love anybody doing my music to hear what they could do with it from, you know, from, he said, Joe Cocker doing with a little help from my friends is the greatest thing I ever heard because I would never have heard it as a gospel, you know, rock rave up. He said, but the most memorable one of yesterday was Elvis because he sang, I might have said something wrong. No, I long. He goes, no, no, you did. You did say something wrong. That's why she left. He says, but I feel like Elvis couldn't bring himself to admit he screwed up. He said, I might have said something wrong. Like, maybe you interpreted it the wrong way. Or right. that's not, like, Elvis couldn't say, I screwed up, so you left and I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I never thought of it in those kind of macro terms. Like, the king can't say anything wrong. Maybe you misunderstood me. <laughs> well, it's like the kiss doctrine. Uh, when I r first wrote with Paul Stanley, I had to learn the, the culture of kiss. And, and, and one of the strict rules is they can never be a victim <laughs> in a song. <laughs> they always have to be the winner, no matter what. And so uh, I think a lot of that exuberance and, and kind of confidence uh, spilled over into all the other, you know, kind of rock uh, creations that I helped to, to write. Is there one of these hit songs, going back to it, that you hear a totally different way. That and we've got a live album out now, uh, Desmond Child. It is live, right, on BMG that you yes, recorded. Yes, oh, you did it at Feinstein's? Which Feinstein's 54 Below. Um, I I had started out with my group, Desmond Child and Rouge. Um, which I remember seeing you in the late 70s. And right. I said, I, forget, I can't remember tracks or 
I can't remember where a rehearsal room at Star Sound, but I remember seeing you meeting you and going, boy, this this, this guy has something going on. This is something. Of course, the women of Rouge, Maria Vidal, Diana Grisselli, and Miriam Valley, they they came on stage and it was like a reunion, tearful reunion, and um, uh, they're on the record as well. We 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 did a song together called "Love on a Rooftop." which I had co-written with Paul Stanley of Kiss and Diane Warren. and um, What a combination of people. I know. Well, <laughs> it was Paul's title. And then Diane and I wrote, wrote this song, Love on a Rooftop, because it was on a list of titles I had. I said, well, what about Love on a Roof? And so then it's like, Love on a Rooftop. And so then I called Paul and said, I wrote the coolest song with Diane uh, called Love on a Rooftop. And he, like, silence. <laughs> That's my title. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. But, you know, <laughs> uh, it's like the, uh, Carol King told me the story of standing in front of the Brill Building with Jerry Goffin, and they were taking their, you know, smoking break. This is in the 60s. And uh, Jerry Wexler, the great producer, pulls up, rolls down the window and says, hey, guys, I'm going into the studio with Aretha tomorrow night. Will you write me a song? I have this title, Natural Woman. And they went upstairs <laughs> and wrote it. It seems insane, right? But that's and exactly they, what happened. They recorded it the next night. Crazy. And Jerry, Jerry Wexler's name is on the song <laughs> because the title, you know, he earned it with that title. The, so... Have you seen the like do- in, in Nashville? They say, "Say a word, get a third. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Have you seen this documentary about Burt Burns? The, the there's a documentary his son Brett made called Bang Records, the Burt Burns documentary about what it was like in the '60s about Burt and Wexler and, and Atlantic and you know what I thought I I thought I knew this I I knew nothing. The The Sopranos is like Mister Rogers' Neighborhood compared to how. It crazy, dirty, dangerous. It really was in those days. You you make a song, but it's got a title like a, a song that's already out, and suddenly the other song has disappeared from every record store and disappeared from the radio. And your song is the hit, and just just such crazy things happen that are above whatever there was. There wasn't even two sets of books. There were no books. <laughs> you, know, you couldn't even you couldn't even find a book to figure out how much money you were supposed to have gotten. But it just sounds, and yet, through all that all, look at all these amazing songs and all these amazing songwriters, like Carole King and Jerry Goffin and Ellie Greenwich and all the, Neil Diamond and all these people just pumping out song after hit song after hit song, like Carol said, under the boardwalk, up on the roof. You know, you, right. I, we need a song. They're paying us by the hour. Like, you know, we, <laughs> right. we have to do four songs a day, anything, literally. <laughs> coffee's, my coffee's cold. Co- cold coffee and, uh, okay, <laughs> and whatever. We have to do songs. And this, ha- have you ever felt that pressure of, you know, it, it seems to flow from the Beatles. And the, when you listen to the, the White Album, um, the, the, the extended thing that Giles Martin did, he had all these demos of them. They got to, at George's mansion, the, the, they call them the Esher demos. And they were just playing demos for each other, going, here's what I wrote. Like, everybody's bringing, like, their Halloween candy. They're like, I have this, I have this, do you like that? And not really. Yeah, I think that's good. Like, we could work it up, but I don't know. But I have this, that's a good one. And they just kind of threw all their songs in a pile and kind of, okay, let's do these definitely and these some. It, how does it work 
when you're not in the band, you know, you're not a member of Aerosmith, you're not a member of Bon Jovi, you're not a member of Kiss, you're not a member of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, and yet you're like this free agent who kind of, they come in, write a hit song, and thank you very much, and now I have to go because this other guy needs me to write a hit song. <laughs> is it is that how it works? I mean, I'm making it really oversimplified. Well, but. I, I kind of invented a career that hadn't existed before by accident. When <laughs> when Paul Stanley asked me to co-write a song with him, it, what turned out was I was made for loving you. And so because of the success of that, um, you know, I got a call from John Bon Jovi, who had been, uh, Bon Jovi had been the opening act for Kiss in Europe. And so, you know, I walked in, we wrote You Give Love a Bad Name, and then, you know, Living on a Prayer, and then, you know, it's it's like that. It's like um, I become sort of like the fifth, sixth member of the band for the time that I'm that we're writing for, let's say, an album. So, you know, I'll, I'll we'll have written like maybe three or four songs that actually, you know, they had 50. But the three and four that I co-wrote actually made it onto the record. Um, you know, and so, you know, that's sort of my kind of... Uh, chameleon <laughs> karma chameleon <laughs> um a gift that i can land in a situation and just using my innate empathy skills and and all that i fit in and i i also think that in a way i was sort of like the palace eunuch <laughs> because being being gay <laughs> That's a great line. Being gay, I was not a threat to be in somebody's home with the wife and, you know. Oh, I never really thought all of that. that. I wasn't like, you know. He's going to hit on my girlfriend. He's going to. Yeah, know. yeah. So I was safe. So then I always uh, bonded with the wife or the girlfriend. And then they pretty soon, you know, they'd be asking me for dec decorating <laughs> tips, you know, That's or fashion <laughs> tips or whatever. And it's like, hey, I'm not gay for nothing. <laughs> I'm and here. So, Let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'd help fluff pillows or, uh, you know. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Move that's... furniture around. And, well, why don't you put this here? Or, you know, oh, because that's uh, hilarious. <laughs> so I think that was a, a plus for me. Uh, but also, on the other hand, uh, these, you know, strong hetero rock bands, they didn't want me to be, be the producer. They could co-write with me. I'd be like, okay, well, that's kind of equal. But when you're the producer, you're the boss. And so they didn't want to be bitch slapped by a gay guy. <laughs> so I, you know, when I started having all these hits, then the record companies wanted me to kind of give them songs. It's like, no, I have to be the producer. So of course, you know, they gave me androgynous kind of Ronnie Spector, Cher, <laughs> um, Alice Cooper, Joan Jett, <laughs> you know. Your metier, that like, would be a comfortable uh, place. Meatloaf, you know, all these people that came out very theatrical, kind of weirdos, but producing, you know, the bands, that didn't come till later. Eventually, I mean, I was the only out producer for decades. Uh, there was really a glass ceiling. And, and one of the reasons was because most of the A&R guys and promotion guys, they're all like a boys club. And um, they'd go to the strip joints and do their coke and all this kind of stuff, which is a completely different world than that I belong to. And so guys that could go with the flow with that were the ones that would get hired. 
it's a sin because the only thing that matters is the song and how it comes out. If you just stripping it back down to money, let Desmond Child produce it because he's got the magic touch. Because all that should matter is money. If you told me about where you got your stage name, where Desmond came from. When I was in high school, there was this girl that just intrigued me. I mean, she had this long brown hair, kind of reminded me of Laura Nero, who was my idol. And uh, she she would play acoustic guitar on the lawn outside of school. But I didn't recognize the songs. Like, she was playing her own songs. So I just was so drawn to her because my mother was a songwriter, and her name was uh, Debbie Wall or Deborah Wallstein. She had d- different ways of saying her name. She was Canadian, you know, kind of snowbird that came down with her mom. And so uh, we started, you know, we, the amazing bond between us, and we started co-writing songs together, and we said, well, let's do a duo and call it Night Child. And so I said, okay. She named me Desmond because of the song Obla Di Obla Da. Desmond has a barrel in the marketplace. marketplace. Yeah. And so, and then I named her Virgil. So it was Virgil Knight and Desmond Child, and we were Knight Child. And, and we quit school together, 11th grade. And, 11th grade. Yeah, and drove up to Woodstock, and we lived in a house, a hippie house, and uh, we worked in an apple-picking plant <laughs> during the day, and at night we'd be at the Joyous Lake Cafe uh, playing, not, playing not that you songs. remember any of this clearly at all. No. <laughs> it's all in my book <laughs> that's coming called Living on a Prayer, Big Songs, Big Life with David Ritz. Um, so that's coming in the spring. Awesome. But, um, you know. So you're uh, what, you're 17? I was 17, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was 17. That's the age my sons are now. If my sons pulled the things <laughs> that I did at their age, like just drive out of town and go and live in a hippie house in Woodstock, I'd kill them. <laughs> and, and mic drop. And see, that is part, it was, but it was, again, for everybody listening, it was a different era. You know, the Beatles go to Rishikesh and they write all these songs. It was a different world where you explored and you just say, hey, I trust you. Take care of yourself. See what you find. Well, my mom was bohemian, and, and, you know, she would say, don't hitch Jack. Do not hitch Jack. You know, hitchhike or hijack. I mean, she kind of mixed it up, hitch Jack. (laughs) And, um, you know, I got up to Woodstock, and I, I hung out at Bearsville Studios and then became sort of like the coffee boy. And uh, Todd Rundgren was making a record called Something Anything. Wow. And, you know, there were big signs on the on the door that said, do not enter, you know, da-da-da-da. But there was this airlock in Studio A where he couldn't see, you know, who was in the airlock. And so when I hear the music, I'd go in and stand in the airlock and listen to his music, which was futuristic, the harmonics, it was so fantastic. And then when the music would stop, I'd jump out and then I'd run to the right and then he would run to the left. And he was always like so mean to me, you know, because I was like a little nothing coffee boy. So then much later, I was chosen to produce Bad Out of Hell 3. <laughs> and so Meatloaf insisted on bringing in Todd Rundgren to do some background vocals on it to get that sound right. And um, he was not happy that I was, the first of all, the producer, and he still treated me like the coffee boy. <laughs> nice. Todd has some issues. Todd has some very serious issues. I could just tell so many stories. Well, it's all in my book. Good. So is the book out now or it's coming? No, no, it's coming. It's coming. But right now I have Desmond Child Live on BMG Records. And 
Can I say Please? one more thing? Yes. I'm obsessed with Instagram. Okay, so, so how do we follow you? It's Follow me at Desmond.child. Got follow it. me forever. Never leave me. Uh, we will never leave you. You never leave our ears. You never leave our airways. As we wrap it up, give me a Beatles song that we should listen to more, that you hear in a way that we don't. Well, there, there are two Beatles songs that uh, had such an impact on me. The first one was Eleanor Rigby mm -hmm. because it told a story. And I was intrigued by the story. I could listen to it over and over again and imagine the characters. And the other one was She's Leaving Home. Yeah. You know, I just, because I related to it because I left home. There was something about the, the loneliness and the angst in those two songs that I was really drawn to. But you mentioned John Lennon in 1980. I was uh, living across the street from the Dakota, and um, I lived at the Oliver Cromwell, and my windows you know, were right there open to the street. And I heard the five shots Oh, uh, when, oh my God. when John got, got killed. And um, oh. it was the most surreal thing. I hit the floor. Within seconds, you know, I got a call and somebody said, look outside your window. And I saw the, 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 the car driving away, the, the cop car driving. There was no time for an ambulance and all that. And um, within hours, the street was closed off. There was a little Greek coffee shop on the corner. That's where the press all were. And I went there and just hung out and, and with all the press. I mean, everyone was in shock. And pretty soon that we were like crowds gathering in front. And then it started to rain, like this light mm -hmm. rain. And then the, all these black umbrellas The you know, it was like unbelievable scene in front of that Dakota. And I wrote a song called Dakota that night. And, um, you know, I sat down at the piano and I said, rain falls softly on this bloody street. Wash away, wash away, wash away our sins tonight. Why must there be this senseless killing? I'm ashamed to be human tonight. Oh, Desmond. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm just choked up just hearing it. Thank you so much for sharing your art, your talent, your time. I mean, it. it's a joy to have you here. Please know the door is always open here. Uh, we'll follow you at Desmond.child. And the live album to hear how you hear these songs, how you perform them, is out now on BMG. Congratulations, and keep making great music for us, because we love it. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here.